Super Baal Sunday. <laughs> See who gets that. I'm sorry, I misspoke. They just told me it's not Super Baal, it's Super Bowl. <laughs> Somebody asked me what I think about Super Bowl and people not coming to church and all of that stuff, and I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, it's a one-day thing out of the year. Somebody enjoys the Super Bowl, not a problem whatsoever. I just ask that you would exhibit the same passion you do for a football team for the Lord Jesus Christ every other Sunday. And besides, um, I already know who's going to win. The Eagles are going to win, so it doesn't matter anymore. Turn to your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be picking up at verse 1 since we didn't make it out of there last week. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you'll raise your hand. If you need a Bible, the ushers will bring one to you. Everybody good? Turn it to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll start reading at verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 2. Hey, what else do you got to do? We might as well just spend the rest of our lives in the Word of God. No hurry. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word since everybody is. <laughs> Finally got you trained well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. Remember, therefore relates back to that cloud of witnesses that we saw in Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, once again, I pray that we would see the reality of these things, the seriousness of these things, and incorporate these things into our Christian lives, that we would run well, that we would not lag behind, that we would not run out ahead of you, Father, but we would run every step of this race by your side, and we would continue to do so. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would teach us and train us in these things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The writer of Hebrews, we do not know who it is. Many guesses have been made. I refuse to do that. It doesn't matter. It's the Holy Spirit. He's using elements of an athletic competition to encourage us to hold fast to our faith. Last week, we looked at three of six things that define the event that we are to compete in. First, as we stood at the starting line, we saw the importance of looking around and knowing and understanding our competition. And so this is an event, the example that he's using. It's a race, and we need to know who it is that we are competing against because if you don't know who the competition is, you're destined to fail. Your opponent, we saw, your opponent is not your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Your opponent contrary to popular belief, is not the unbelievers in your life. 
We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If you're wrestling against flesh and blood, you are in a non-God-sanctioned event. You are acting contrary to the Spirit, and you are acting in the flesh. What we do wrestle in against is that unholy trinity of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. If you want to know who it is you're to be wrestling against, go home and look in the mirror. There's a lifetime of wrestling right before you. But before we continue in this competition, we're looking at the race, but I want to look first of all at the competing Christian who the competing Christian is to be. Turn over to the left in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We have elements, Paul's using this example here to the church at Corinth. We have elements of who the racer, the person involved in the race, to compete in the race, is to be. So in order to be a competent competitor, the first thing that we're going to see is, is that the competitor, he must be focused. Look at verse 24, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's not saying win, but he's saying run in such a manner that you may obtain it. Give your all. And so what we see here is the passion of a runner who is going to give his all whether he actually wins or not. Now, in God's race, nobody really loses. But the focus here is not so much on the prize to the detriment of the running the race, but the focus is based upon because the prize exists. An Olympic athlete, he's not focused upon the medal. He's focused upon how he's going to enter in and how he's going to compete. And that's where we have to have that passion. is isn't just so much for the prize. The prize is there and the prize is available to everybody. But how are you going to enter into the competition? I love the competition. I, I, I golf every Monday with some of the guys from the church. And if you're a golfer and you're available Monday morning, you're welcome to join us. But what I appreciate is the competition. I like to beat them. No. It's not about that. In golf, you, you, you compete against the golf course and really against yourself and how well you did the previous time. And I just love the competition. I love the spirit of competition. That's what I love about sports is the competing. I like the trash talk and all of that. Oh, yeah, well, yo, mama, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just all part of it, and it's all part of the fun. It's all a part of the excitement. It's all a part of the passion of the event. And so, again, the Olympic athlete, he's not focused upon the medal, but he's focused upon how he is going to compete. Second, the way a Christian becomes a, comp a competent competitor is by his preparation. How are we prepared? By being temperate. Verse 24, uh, 24 and 25, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. What does it mean to be temperate? Temperate is a figure from athletes who, when preparing themselves for the games or for the race, they abstain from unwholesome food, wine, and sin. 
And we kind of looked at that as one of the weights that will ensnare us as we attempt to run the race. And what he's saying is, is they all exercise self-control. Their focus is upon the event, how they're going to compete in the event, and anything that is going to hinder them, they set aside, they put out of their lives. The third way that a Christian becomes a competent competitor is he shows up. A lot of people don't even show up for the race. Again, in verse 26 this time, therefore, I run. Paul's saying, I run. I'm a competitor. I enter into the race. I'm not sitting on the sideline, but I show up for the competition. Now, if you would look, I was going to say look in an encyclopedia. Does anybody remember what an encyclopedia is anymore? If you Google it, and you look up the American gold medal winners from the 1980 Olympics, you're going to find none. Why? We didn't show up. We decided that we were going to boycott it. We just beat the air. We didn't compete in the race. They had something that was supposed to make up for it, but it never really did. At that time, Russia was at war with Afghanistan, whom we supported at the time, which also resulted in the Taliban coming to power, who we are now at war with. How does that make sense? Ask Jimbo Carter. Maybe he can explain it to you. He was the one who was president at the time. But nonetheless, you can't find any American gold medal winners from those Olympics because there was none. The problem in the church today, a problem in the church today, is that so many don't show up. So many don't compete. And if you don't show up, if you don't compete, then in actuality, there's no real race. The fourth way that a Christian becomes a competent competitor is he craves the competition. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And how many times, it seems like every year at the Olympics, you can go ahead and turn back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. How many times have you seen the competitors, for whatever reason, because of performance, drugs, or some of them, they didn't show up on time, and they were disqualified? Can you imagine all of that preparation, all of that desire, all of that focus, and you've dedicated your life to that one moment, and you're disqualified? Some silly reason, maybe, even. And it's just heartbreaking to look at the athletes when they find this out. And how much heartbreaking would it be in our lives, our lives, as God has called us, just to go out there and compete. He doesn't tell me to compete against you or even better than you, but just as I have enabled you, as I have gifted you to go out and to compete in that competition to the best of your ability. And there are so many ways that I can disqualify myself from that, and there's nothing sadder. So as God has called us all to participate in this race we call the Christian life, we need to be focused. We need to be prepared. We've got to show up, and we can't we got to crave the competition, making sure that we're not disqualified from the race. And so that's the competitor. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, we're looking at the race. In way of review from last week, well, the first thing we saw last week, the competition, it involves the sport. Therefore, verse 1, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. The sport here is a race. 
The Greek word, as I pointed out last week, is agon. It's where we get the word agony. And this is to agonize with endurance. As you're running, your muscles may hurt, whatever it might be, you get winded, but you continue to push forward. Because it's the one who pushes forward is going to be the one who is able to receive the prize. How are, we to, how are we to agonize with endurance? Possess a steady determination to just simply keep on going. Have you seen those face-on shots when they're doing the 100-meter sprint in the Olympics? You got those face-on shots and you see that, that Olympian as he's putting out, as he's given everything he has. Everything in his life has been funneled down to that very moment. And it's almost as if you can see every muscle in his body just straining, man or woman, straining to get there. And they get to that finish line and they reach forward because this has been the passion of their lives. All of the working out, all of the development has been pointed towards this time, and it's no time to fail at that point. They're going to agonize. They're going to give everything they got. What are you given for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or maybe I should ask, what are you holding back of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to have that mindset in this Christian life that we would agonize, that we would push forward, that we would give everything that we have. Because if you look at the big picture, what's the only thing that is going to last? Our relationship with Christ throughout all of eternity. The things that we place such an importance on here in this world, it's going to be gone. I guarantee you. I don't know who your team is in the Super Bowl. God did not tell me who's going to win. That was just a silly thing that I said. Might be the Patriots. Who knows? But tomorrow, you still have to get out of bed and go to work. It doesn't matter who won. I don't know what, does anybody know what the prize money is for the Super Bowl winner? Does anybody? Yeah, it's a lot. Okay, thank you. And they're not going to give one dime to you. Not one dime of it. It's not going to change your life one bit. Matter of fact, I know that the Patriots won last year, but I can't remember who won the year before that or the year before that because it simply doesn't matter in the course of our lives. We've got the gospel which matters in the course of eternity. And again, I don't have a problem with somebody taking the afternoon off and sitting there and watching the Super Bowl game. That's not a sin. That's not a problem. But how passionate are you about the things that really matter? I told my wife this morning... Uh, yeah, you know what? Super Bowl Sunday, usually in the morning, we get quite a few people at church, and then in the evening, there's just going to be a small handful. She goes, yeah, everybody goes to church in the morning because they don't want to jinx their team. <laughs> hey, she said that, not me. If you have a problem with it, talk to her. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't just a momentarily at the finish line pressing forward. He's pressing forward throughout the course of the race. Shoes are meant to, to any kind of walking shoe, running shoe. They're actually built with a little bit of an incline that the heel is a little bit higher than the toe. And the idea is, is so that you kind of fall forward as you take a step forward and you keep going forward. And how much more so is a running shoe like that? And how much more so should a Christian be of that mindset? In every moment, with every opportunity that I have, that I would be pushing forward in the Lord. Second thing we saw last week is that the competition involves support. 
ourselves to one another. It speaks in verse 1 that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And we went through the list. I'll go through it very quickly. And it's those who continued to push forward in the race. They didn't run in perfection, but the fact of the matter is they kept running. We saw Abel. He stayed strong in the faith in his worship of the Lord. Enoch stayed strong in his faith as he walked with God. Noah stayed strong in faith in that he did what he was commanded to do, not understanding what the results would be. Abraham stayed strong in the faith in that when God told him to go, he went. And when God pointed at something very dear to him, he gave it up to him. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph stayed strong in the faith at the point of their death. Moses was a man who forsook the world for the riches of God. Joshua and Rahab, they are those who followed forth in courageous Christian courage. And then now thirdly, the third thing that we saw last week in this competition, the sport, we saw the support, and then we saw that which could thwart. Just kind of a silly thing because it ended with T and it rhymes with everything else. But it's a very important part of the message. Verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The thing that is death to a racer we saw is excess weight. There are two things that will weigh you down in your Christian life if you allow them to do so. Can you imagine running a race in lead boots? You know, they have these jackets for people that work out. It's kind of like a vest kind of a thing, and it's got pockets where you put these lead weights And the idea is you run with that weight, and so then when you come to the race, you take it off, and you're able to go that much faster. But can you imagine somebody wearing that? But in our Christian life, we'll attempt to run the race with those weights still on. So what are the weights? Well, first weight is your past sin. Remember what Jesus said? I'll remember your sin no more. I'll cast it as far as the east is from the west. It's the Lord's promise to us that as he has forgotten our sin, no longer do we need to remember it as well. Matter of fact, as once we have repented of it and been forgiven of it, we need to not visit it any longer. The devil, he's going to constantly tell you, remember what you did? Remember who you used to be? Remember what your passions were? Remember when you did that on that particular day? Whatever it might have been, but you have to be of the mindset, it's been taken off of me and it's been taken off Christ, onto Christ because Christ is the only one who is able to bear it. If you continue to go back and to revisit it, if you don't understand what the magnitude of justification is to be seen just as if you've never seen, then it's going to slow you down and it's going to hinder you. If you look at the, th- this room here, or if you're just going to look at me at the pulpit, we're all sinners. Everybody here has sinned. And we could have everybody come up here and give the top ten worst sins in their own mind that they've committed, but it's all that's going to do is scare us of one another. <laughs> Ooh, really? No. Jesus has taken it all away. It's all covered by the blood. And we should be of that mindset. If we did such a silly thing and have everybody come up here, nobody would have anything to say because as Jesus has chosen to remember it no more, so we ought to choose to remember it no more. Choose. God supernaturally chooses to remember no more. You still have to make the choice to remember no more by, even though I should say, that you do remember. When that's brought back to your mind, you need to once again just shove it back at the foot of the cross and understand the magnitude of God's grace. The second thing that slows you down is just that old dead body. Can you imagine running a race and having to carry a dead body with you? Don't carry who you used to be. Understand who you are in the sight of God. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that, you wear the uniform. 
You've been covered by the righteousness of Christ, and you're on God's team, and if God can be for you, or if God is for you, then there's nobody that can stand against you. Jesus was raised from the dead so that we would not have to carry him, but he would carry us. And it's just a blessing to know and understand the magnitude of the grace of God. So moving on in our list, the fourth thing that this competition involves is the heart. We're told in verse 2 to look unto Jesus, to have that heart, to seek after Christ, to know who it is that enables us. A big thing in competition is performance-enhancing drugs. Well, we have God who enables us in this race that, well, I'm, I'm able to give my all because of God who has given his all for me. And so the idea behind looking unto Jesus is truly trusting in him. So... We've been through this, haven't been through it in a while, but really how human intellect is developed, it's developed through a concept, through understanding the truthfulness of that concept, and then trusting in that concept. The concept is salvation by grace. If that's presented to you, somebody has preached the gospel to you. Is it truth? Can you determine that it is truth? Well, we look throughout the ages, we see the truthfulness of God's word and how it stands the test of time, how it stood against so many arguments, and we come to the realization that there's nothing that's not truth here, and so the gospel must be truth. And then we see how it plays out in our lives, we see the changed life of the believer, and then prayerfully we experience it ourselves, the changed life of the born-again believer. And as we see that, then we realize, I can give my heart to this. I can give my all to this. I can trust in this. I can trust in this giving of my life to the word of God and being directed by the word of God for the glory of God. And as I do that, I'm a victor. I'm a victor in the Lord. And we need to understand that, that as you give your heart to the things of God, God gives of his heart to you. Remember in Numbers chapter 21, that thing of brass, that brass serpent that was formed because God's people were cursed because of their disobedience. God sent serpents amongst them, and they were being bit, and they were dying. And Moses interceded, and God says, make this bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever looks to that serpent, whoever trusts in me, if he gets bit, I'll heal him. And so they did that, and it says when people were bit, people looked, and people were healed. But I often wonder, how many people got bit and refused to trust? Well, how hard would it be to look at that? Well, you know how people are. You know how you are. I mean, you can be so hard-hearted. But to give of your heart is to open your heart to the glory of who God is and to trust in him with everything and with your all. It's to understand that God loves you and God cares for you, that God died for you and he gave his life for you so that you would be able to spend eternity with him. And when you come to that place of that trust, then you're able to prevail in the race that God has set before you. True trust here is, is to have a heart to get into the race that you can trust your Lord to get you to the finish line. We're going to show a little video here. The year was 1992. It was an Olympic year, and they were being held in Barcelona, Spain. There was an English man. His name was Derek Redman. He was a man who was injured the previous Olympics. He, he, he put everything into it. He got hurt, and he was unable to compete. This was going to be his last chance. This was his last chance to fulfill his goal, to fulfill his desire of that gold medal. 
He had broken the English record in the 400-meter run earlier that year, and he was an Olympic favored to win the gold medal that year. When We're going to pick it up after he has won the first two qualifying heats, and he's in his third and final before the big race. So if you're able to get it going, go ahead and show the video. I don't know who won the gold medal that day, but I know the one who finished the race because he's the one who gave his whole heart. And you can look at that and say, well, that's great. And gosh, you might go up there and tell us that's God the Father who comes. That's not God the Father. That's you as you come alongside somebody else who's hurt. 
It's you as you're encouraging somebody and have compassion on somebody else who has stumbled and fallen and unable or at least having difficulty in finishing the race, that we would be a people that come together and, and see that, that, that each other is able to push across that finish line for the glory of God. The biggest thing that you could come away with here if you have an improper perspective is that Derek didn't win. But Derek did win. It's because of his inspiration that we continue to draw off that even today. And so I, I look at the race, and again, I don't know who won the gold medal, but I see who has the heart of gold. I want to have a heart of gold. Because there's always somebody that can run faster than you. There's, already, there's always somebody who can run better than you. But it's what God looks like. It's where he makes his evaluation. It's not in the time it takes you to get across the finish line, but to have a heart to get across the finish line. And so we must consider these things. Because just as surely as you are to have a trusting heart by looking to Jesus, you're also to have a heart that is motivated. And love, love is that which motivates us. It's the love of Christ for us, but because he first loved us, we are to love him as well. And that's to be our motivation. Another little story, it was in the mid-1970s, I think it was 1978, I was 20 years old, I was going to college, I had changed my major quite a few times, I wasn't very motivated, I did not have a lot of passion about what I was doing at the time, didn't know what God had called me to, I wasn't even a Christian at the time, but I was just kind of floating through life. Then all of a sudden, one day, at J.C. Penney's, I was in sporting goods and she passed by. I met a young lady, and all of a sudden, I'm a motivated man. <laughs> I'm a motivated man with a problem. I'm working part-time at J.C. Penney's. Well, we started dating, and we talked about marriage, but how are we going to get married if we, we couldn't afford it? Well, within two years, I'm in my career, and we've gotten married. I had my eyes upon the prize, and my prize there was my wife. And how much more so should we be motivated by what the Lord has set before us? We're told in Philippians 4.13 that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Even as he has called us to finish the race, he enables us every step of the way so that we would be able to cross that line of glory and come into his wonderful presence. The fifth thing that this competition involves is an exhortation. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, throughout last week's service and this week's service, I have devoted to these two verses and used the example of a race kind of as a sprint. But really, this race being an agon is more like a marathon. And this marathon encompasses the totality of your life. It's that which, again, you're going to feel some pain. You're going to feel some hardship. At times, you're going to feel like you're running all alone. There's going to be other times when you think that you can't even take another step. And the only thing you know is, is to pick up one foot and place it in front of the other. But it's for those who endure to the end that know that they have true saving and enduring faith. And as we have that confidence before us, there may be those who are behind us that are looking to us as the example. And as we push forward, it's their example that, that they would push forward as well. And it's those things that we need to see in the example that we set. As I've said so many times, if you're a born-again believer, you're a leader. Somebody looks to you as the example of who a Christian is. 
And as you're pushing forward, it's only going to inspire others to push forward. And maybe it's even others who aren't, haven't even entered into the race. But maybe they'll look at you and say, hey, if he can do that, I can do that. And I think I can even do better. Good. That's part of my prayer here behind the pulpit. Think you're a better preacher than I am? Good. Find a pulpit, start preaching, and see what God does. And I'm not saying that to put anybody down. I pray that. I say that to inspire people. Do better than me. Take it further. Take it farther. And again, just see how God is able to reach the masses just simply through one person who's obedient to the call of God to stay into the race. And so this race, we are to endure. Endure to persevere under misfortunes and trials and to hold fast to one's faith. Because there's going to be in this race the devil who throws every obstacle before you, trying to trip you up, trying to knock you out. Then there's your flesh that tells you, you can't really run this. You're not really going to make it to the finish line. And then there's the world that's saying, hey, come on over here and sit down. Come on, you're looking tired. You're looking hot. Come on and take a rest. And there's everything that's under the sun that is there to draw us off course. But the one thing I know is is that, again, he who endures to the end will be saved. I so desire to endure. And so we are told to run with endurance because, well, once again, probably the last time I'll say it, everybody here is either holding fast to faith, they're in the race, they're running hard, or slipping away. Either have given up or preparing to give up. They're sitting down on the racetrack. Some of them are hurt. Some of them... Some of them just have just simply decided to, to give up, to quit. May we be a, pe- a person that comes alongside, lifts them up, and enables them across the finish line. Because I guarantee you, there's going to be a point in your life when you're either tempted or you do fall and you stumble. And praise be to God that there'll be somebody else that God uses in your life to lift you up and to help you get to that finish line as well. One last thing. This competition involves the sport, the support, Thwart, heart, exhort, and the energy that we exert. That we would give our all to the Lord. That we would never give up. That we would continue to push forward. And as we do, we would do so according to the manner in which God has called us to run in this race. Case in point, there was a man, most of you know, you probably learned it in Bible school even as a kid. This man, Jonah. This man, Jonah, God told him to get up and get into the race. There's people there that judgment's coming and they need to be saved and I'm going to give them the opportunity. Nineveh. Nineveh was part of Assyria. Nineveh was completely contrary to the Jewish way of thinking. And there's this man Jonah who was called to this great ministry. We see in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Now notice it says the word of God. It doesn't say God appeared to him. It just simply says the word of God came to him. Well, that's what God, or how God works in our lives. The word of God comes to us as well. And he says, Arise, go to, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, there's a plain words here, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jaffa and found the ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish, it's believed, is in southern Spain. It would be somewhere around the Rock of Gibraltar, I would imagine. It was one of the last pieces of land you would see before you would go out into the Atlantic Ocean. So to go there would be to go to the ends of the world. 
He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he's in the bottom of the boat going to the end of the world. I don't want to, Lord. I don't want to get into that race. And verse 4 is the play on words, but the Lord. So we see verse 3, the disobedience, but Jonah. In verse 4, but the Lord. Because we may give up, but God never gives up. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And, well, you know the rest of the story. Came to the point that he was thrown out of the boat. And that great fish swallowed him. And it was in the midst of being in the belly of that great fish that he came to himself and realized, what in the world am I doing? Look at God, and look at God and the passion that God has for those people in Nineveh, and even me, as he would arrest my soul in the belly of this big fish. And we know that fish vomited him on land, and then we see once again, this time in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, if you want to avoid chapter 1, the but God portion of this, from verse 4 all the way through to the end of verse 2, just do what God tells you to do in the beginning, Just get into the race and run the race. He didn't do that. And so now he's willing. And now we're going to go, if you look at the first part of verse 3, it mimics the first part of verse 1. It's the same exact thing. It's like, okay, now you're in a place where you're willing to run the race. You're at the starting line. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And the message hasn't changed. It says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, it doesn't say, but Jonah this time. It says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God, would it be to God that that would be us? That when God says to enter into the race, that we would enter into the race. When God says to run, we would run. We know what the prize is, but we don't know where the finish line is. But we would just simply run until God says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because those who run in the marathon... They don't get to see the finish line. They don't get to see the finish line until they run the vast majority of the race. But they continue to push forward with a passionate heart because they want a prize that is so temporary, a prize that is going to fade away over time. And just think of the wonderful prize that we have. Oh, that we would have that passionate such as that man did just to win this, this, this prize that's going to one day just simply be gone. We have that which is going to endure forever. May we be a people, Lord, who are passionate for what you have called us to do and obedient to the things that we see in your word. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have shown us these things. We pray, Father, that, Lord, we would take these examples that are given, and, Father, we would follow through on them, that we would never give up, that we would never quit, that we would have that desire to enter into the competition and compete knowing that we're going to get knocked down, knowing that there's going to be people that pass us up, but it's not about that. It's just simply doing what you have called us to do. And so, Father, I pray for those who have come out this morning. Pray for those who are on the Internet that you would bless them. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that your word would enter into our heart, that we would know and understand what you desire of us, and that, Father, we would be a people who honor you and bless you. Father, I pray for those of the church who will be going into the homes of unsaved family and friends to watch the Super Bowl. I pray, Father, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them an opportunity for your gospel. And, Father, we would see, because of this event, Lord, that we would see your word go out and see souls saved. So once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this day. I pray, Father, that we would honor you in the midst of it, we ask 
In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple more things. We're still taking sign-ups for the couple's dinner. You can do that at the information booth. It's on February 17th. Uh, Photo Ministry is having a meeting in the high school room about 15 minutes after service lets out. Keep me up in prayer. We have an opportunity. The city has asked me to do the invocation at the city council meeting. I've done quite a few of them, but just pray. I don't take it as routine. And there's an opportunity to share the word and to, to pray and to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and just pray that God is honored, not so much through me, but through our church. And then I guess that's it. So... You can now leave.
go with our God. 